Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Minds on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and today is a continuation of my conversation with Nicole Oro and Chrissy Isaac, who are both therapists who work for Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health and have also been volunteering their time to counsel our staff members at Penn Medicine during the coronavirus pandemic. During this part of the conversation, we focus less on what the experience of the healthcare workers has been like during the pandemic, and more on what Nicole and Chrissy have been encouraging them to do in order to take care of their mental health during this time. So I hope you guys find it helpful and enjoy the podcast. So now that we've talked a little bit about the experience of healthcare workers, I guess I'm wondering if we can focus or highlight a little bit more about what they can do to take care of themselves, right? I I think some of the things that I've heard you already highlight, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit more in greater detail, but we talked a lot about the importance of taking breaks, and we just talked a little bit about how it can seem like there's no consistency. So I would imagine that a, a piece of this is going to involve carving out some consistency to your day or to your routine. But I guess... Can you guys just speak a little bit about, like, how are you encouraging people to take care of themselves right now, the nurses, the doctors, et cetera? You know, Andy, you indicated, so in a very unpredictable world, what can we do? We'll create as as much predictability as we can. You know, subtle things, you know, wake up, try and wake up at the same time every single day. You know, however, we want some flexibility. We don't need rigidity. So we don't have to, okay, seven days a week, it has to be 7 a.m. We want to be able to kind of be, uh, a little bit free flowing with it as well. And and Chrissy really spoke to kind of that balance. So creating some structure, um, finding creative ways to connect that are safe. And so, you know, I think one of the things that was really at the forefront in any dialogue I had with anyone about whether it was how to manage my depression, anxiety, um, how do I manage going into work tomorrow because I really don't want to do that or speaking with my family was always really trying to kind of have that dialogue of take it step by step. Chrissy mentioned day by day. Sometimes we say hour by hour, minute by minute, and reevaluating, being creative with what is working and really checking in with yourself on why you're being triggered or what's happening. Um, Giving yourself, I spoke a lot, a lot about self-compassion, about kindness, about forgiveness, um, and really more self than other, I would say, because that's a lot of the work that I think really needed to happen. If you got to go in the bathroom, you know, to kind of, because it's so overwhelming and just let some tears out, that's okay. Give yourself a minute, try and ground yourself, practice some mindfulness some self-compassion, and then go back to work, you know, and really try and kind of create that space that's predictable, that's safe, where you can kind of give, you know, as I've mentioned before, give yourself a break, um, and have some resilience. Mm-hmm. So I actually just want to pause there real quick because I think that's important. You know, there's there's a piece to this that will be very concrete, right? Like you said, I mean, uh, we can talk about exercise. We can talk about building a good routine for yourself because all these things are going to be good for our mental health in general. But then there's there's almost like a, I don't know what the what the word I'm looking for is, but there's almost more like an insights or or self-reflection piece to this and when you're talking about self-compassion like giving yourself permission to go into the bathroom and and cry like you said 
I guess I'm wondering, like, why are you finding that people wouldn't be okay with that? Almost a an expectation of, you know, there's a lot of pressure, vocational pressure, I think, that comes with healthcare um, in terms of, you know, literally being the expert. And I think sometimes we forget that we're we're all human beings. Um, we're heroes and we're also we're human beings. And so I think part of it is if I, you know, that stigma that's connected to seeking, receiving, asking for help, accepting mm-hmm. help. And what that actually means, you know, there's some deep seated thoughts on on asking for help and receiving help and being able to kind of seek out that I think sometimes giving permission to not have it all together, giving permission to not not do well in this environment, not be the best spouse, not be the best parent, not be the best child because of all the things that we've talked about this past hour, I think comes with a lot of, well, then what does that translate into? What's wrong with me? Um, and do I want to really kind of connect to that? And and how do I start addressing these things? And I know one of the things that I I talked a lot about in session was just being able to speak with people, colleagues, friends who understand and who know what you're going through. That power of fellowship, that power of being able to say, not just this was a hard shift or that was a difficult patient or wow, things are getting pretty hectic outside, but to really have someone understand and and truly empathize is a very powerful experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it's like to be in 99% of what I would talk about in session. However, I gave an opportunity for anyone to really be able to share their experience. So I think being able to kind of do that and give yourself permission to not have it all together is okay. And to be able to kind of take some time and some reflection, some insight into what can I do to make these changes so I don't not feel good and really kind of practicing that self-compassion, kindness, and caring. I completely agree. I mean, it's like, when we think about it, what's the alternative? If we don't address the stressors we're feeling, if we carry around everything that we're holding on our shoulders day in and day out, what's going to happen? You know, what's the alternative? And so when I think about that, it raises so much concern, not just, you know, for myself or for healthcare providers, but anyone that's living through this pandemic. When we talk about the importance of self-care and what we can do, I think that's huge when we look at the things that we can do versus maybe the things that we can't do. Or I think when we look at the pandemic and we look about what's been taken from us or what we feel helpless towards, but there are so many things that we can do that are healthy coping skills for us that we that we do have in power to mm-hmm. be able to implement and to, you know, discuss. And I think having that compassion for ourselves is huge. Understanding that we're all just kind of doing the best we can through in this and no one is going to navigate this type of a situation perfectly. No one's going to navigate life. So giving ourselves permission to have difficult moments, giving ourselves permission to be angry, to be sad, to grieve. You know, I think that's one of the things I forgot to mention earlier. And one of the most important things is that people who have been healthcare providers, especially in a hospital system during this time, they're witnessing uh, a lot of loss. And it's not that they're not used to seeing loss, but I think so much compiled so, so, so frequently together, loss after loss after loss is going to impact all of us. So, you know, being, allowing ourselves that space to grieve. 
um, I think this is really important too. But I think also what I'm taking away from what you and Nicole are sharing is like, everyone is going to have their own formula of what works for them. We're all going to have maybe some variations there. There's going to be some structural things that are really important, team scheduling, but then there's going to be some things that might be really individual to the person that might be helpful in terms of coping skills. Some adults hate coloring. I personally love coloring, <laughs> you know, so even if it's taking five minutes a couple of times a week to do something like that, um, you know, I think that there's there's an array of different types of self-help coping skills, coping skills that are out there. And COBOL is a really great tool that, you know, anyone that's in the pen system can utilize to find that. And it's not just about talking to a therapist or a psychiatrist, which are excellent resources, but there's also articles that people can read. There's, you know, different types of tools and guides that are within the COBOL system that people can take a look at to help figure out what formula of self-care is going to work for them. I think having that point in terms of you know, step one, giving permission to even be open and open-minded to being able to speak to someone. There ha doesn't have to be an agenda. There doesn't have to be, you know, I feel nine out of 10 on a scale for depression. Therefore, I'd like to reduce that down to two. I think the whole point of being able to kind of take that first step, whatever that looks like for each individual is a key, is a key element just to be able to kind of have a dialogue and conversation. And what I've really kind of seen is some people want to continue the dialogue and really kind of start addressing past issues or past experiences that are connected with what's happening. And some people kind of just need, you know, what we kind of call booster sessions and just check-ins and just being able to kind of debrief and make sense of things. And I think all of it's okay. And for some other people being able to maybe not necessarily seek and receive formal therapy, but being, being able to speak with colleagues about what this experience was, was like as a department secretary on a COVID floor or a doctor or nurse or anything like that. And just being able to kind of practice that opportunity to connect on a human level and to be able to just express, I think is key. Yeah, I completely agree there. And Nicole, you'd mentioned a little earlier the importance of like peer support. And I think that that's also a, another dynamic of this that's really, really helpful. I think the key that we're talking about here is like, it's not just going to be one thing. I think it's, you know, kind of collecting multiple tools for the toolbox of, of self-care, you know, and I think peer support is, is a tool there that we can use to connect with each other because let's keep it real. I mean, as a therapist, no one else in my life besides my colleagues could understand the types of stressors, um, the types of occupational challenges that we navigate on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's very, very similar of a concept if you're, you know, working on a COVID positive floor, you know, your colleagues next to you that are working alongside with you every single day are going to understand what it is that you're going through to a different level than someone else outside the building or someone else on a different unit even. So being able to connect with peers, I think is such a value. And I really have to give you know, props to one of our nurses who who really saw the importance of peer support and really advocated to make sure that she could create and generate a peer support system. And so now at the Penn Medicine Princeton uh, Hospital, 
they're for every unit. There's a peer supporter that's a nurse and they all come together. All the peer supporters come together monthly to talk about what they're seeing on their units, how they can continue to support each other. Um, they have newsletters that they type every month. And, you nice. know, some of that is to promote and generate the awareness of peer support. Part of it's also to kind of talk about what's going on month to month. If it's seasonal holiday, uh, you know, factual information about different types of holidays. And then they also include a little bit of levity, which I think is needed. So they always have like a little bit of a joke or something fun that they put at the end of the newsletter. But seeing this peer support initiative, how it started and the power and the momentum that's behind it, and how it really always would have worked in so greatly into a healthcare system, you know, pre-pandemic, it would have been awesome. But to see this being created and implemented as a response to the pandemic, I am just in awe of our healthcare providers and what they're doing. Definitely. Chris, you just mentioned the importance of healthcare workers and nurses and doctors really being able to talk to each other um, about the experiences that they're having here and, and the support groups and stuff that we started that, that you found to be really helpful. Are there other ways that they can help support each other besides creating that comfort level where like it's okay for us to talk about how overwhelmed we feel or how how upsetting this is? Are there other things specifically that you guys feel like they could do for each other in terms of helping with the mental health issues that may be coming up due to this? Totally. I mean, here's the thing. I think when you work with people day in and day out, and when you get to know the people, your team, Mm -hmm. it becomes kind of, I don't know about you guys, but I spent more time with my interdisciplinary team on some weeks than I did my own family, you know, because we're there, we're there 40 hours. And in some cases, more than that a week, um, you get to really know and be in tune with the people that you work with. So I think you know, kind of keeping in mind that if you have a colleague who you can see, you know, might might be a little bit more exhausted one day or might feel a little bit more withdrawn or like not as sociable as might if, if they're typically extroverted and then all of a sudden they become introverted. Um, or if you just see those types of differences that raise a red flag or a concern in your own mind, I think going with your gut there and not being afraid to, you know, talk to that person to say, Hey, I'm just, just checking in. You seem a little bit more quiet today. How are you doing? You know, I think we talked a little earlier about the importance of compassion for ourselves. And I think applying that to our own colleagues and our teams is also a really important thing too. Maybe not to speak out of turn, but not just within your own discipline, outside of your discipline. You know, if you're a nurse and you see a doctor or you see a tech or you see, you know, someone from environmental services and you can tell that, you know, maybe they don't have the same demeanor that they typically do, that something seems a little off. It's it's okay, I think, from one person to another to just say, hey, how are you doing today? Just checking in. So Andy, one of the things that we were talking about before, I know you asked um, a little bit about the experiences that we were observing of healthcare providers. One of the things that I think came up was that people do have anxiety about going into work and that is very normal. And one of the coping skills or therapeutic techniques that we can kind of talk about is cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy. Nicole, I know you're probably discussing this with your clients and stuff on Cobalt about how to address work anxiety. Do you have any insights on how you approach that conversation? Really, when we look at cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy or any other type of therapeutic approaches, 
we're really trying to take a look at how thoughts, emotions, and behaviors interface with each other. So if I'm experiencing something and, you know, subsequently telling myself, um, tomorrow's probably going to be a miserable day at work because it was so hectic today. And I start to feel myself, you know, my heart palpitate and I'm sweating and I'm just agitated and I'm really not feeling great. Um, and then I maybe drink or I get into an argument with a spouse and kind of the cycle starts to begin really trying to take a look at what, what thoughts are interfering with being able to function effectively what what are, what am I emotionally experiencing right now? Am I scared? Am I sad? Am I lonely because I've been isolated for so long? Um, am I unclear about how I feel? And I think the first step is really just trying to kind of pin down thoughts, pin down emotions, and then is my behavior the most effective behavior at work, at home? in social interactions? And if the answer is yes, okay. And if the answer is no, is there something I can do differently to be more effective, to experience less anxiety, to feel better? Um, can I tell myself something different? Can I change my thinking to be able to change my behaviors and everything that kind of ties into that? I love that, Nicole. It's, it's, so true. I think it's really, really effective to look at the internal dialogue that we tell ourselves and how can we maybe challenge that, you know? And it reminds me of a quote. It was, it was like a meme I saw on Facebook. I don't even know, a couple years ago. And it went something like, congratulations, you've survived a hundred percent of your most difficult days. And I almost would want to apply that in my own self-narrative of like, if I'm going to work and I'm feeling anxious to remind myself that I'm capable of getting through whatever this day holds because I've gotten through every other single day that, I, that I've experienced. And, you know, to kind of remind ourselves that we are resilient, that we, that we can get through this. And, you know, it is normal to have like a, oh, here we go again, kind of a, a thought process that might happen when we're addressing stressful work environments or stressful situations in general. But it's, you know, believing in our own capabilities that we are, we are going to get through this. Mm -hmm. And I think also definitely, Chrissy, having that perspective um, and then also giving permission that we may not be able to even do that sometimes and just being able to, when the environment or when the experience gets really tough, just do our best. And, you know, today, maybe maybe I was not, not at my best today. However, tomorrow I'm going to try again. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know how well I'm going to do, um, but I will try again. When I'm able to kind of present myself at my best, then that's fantastic. And if not, I'll maybe just practice self-compassion um, or take a step back and kind of just not do anything necessarily destructive. I'm just going to kind of sit with some of this distress in a sense. I think a lot of times what we like to do is get rid of um, anxiety and fear and all these different natural emotions that are pretty unpleasant, you know, and I think the next step really becomes sometimes it's okay to just sit with those emotions and those feelings and, and have perspective. It's validating to hear how horrible this environment has been for some people because that's what it, that's the experience that people have ha actually had and to be able to kind of connect with that um, and maybe not have necessarily movement or anything like that, but just to be able to experience that validation can be pretty powerful too. Absolutely. 
being able to sit with our emotions is so key. And I think there could be a duality. Like we can say like, this is hard and I will get through this or this is hard and I'm doing the best I can. I've said this on podcast before, but when we're talking about CBT and DBT in our thought process, sometimes what can just be really helpful is developing an awareness of what our thought process is. So if I can notice that I'm, you know, worrying about about work today because I think it's, I'm telling myself it's going to be terrible. If I can notice that, you know, I, I'm thinking about it in a certain way, we don't even have to necessarily take that third step sometimes of challenging it. Just sometimes pointing it out to ourselves can be helpful enough. Yeah, I agree. It's I think it's all about getting to know ourselves and and the more we get to know and be aware of what it is we're thinking, what it is we're feeling, what it is we're experiencing, you know, I think identifying these things is the first step in wellness in general, because if there's something going on that I can't see, I'm not going to be able to address it. <laughs> so that awareness is is a huge, huge importance. Um, and that's why I think when we're talking about coping skills, mindness is really mindfulness is really one of the things that comes up as being such an important um, concept to embrace. Because when we are mindful, then we do become more aware of our thoughts and our feelings. Mm-hmm. One thing I guess I would I wanted to ask you before we end here is just if you could give one message to all the healthcare workers out there, what would it be? God, Andy, <laughs> that's a good one. To hold on to hope and whatever that means for each individual, to be able to hold on to hope that they'll get better, their job will get better, the world will get better, relationships will get better, and not to pressurize timeframes or what that really kind of looks like, but to really be able to connect to holding on to that. You know, sometimes I think some reflection um, I had mentioned before about what like, why did I originally get into this field? Why, why did I want to be in healthcare? Why did I want to be a helper? And just revisiting what our values are and what kind of keeps us going on our darkest days and just reconnecting with that, maybe reevaluating that as well, practicing kindness, self-compassion, model what we want to see in other people, even on our most difficult days. And also, being able to not forget the human side of interaction, whether it's going in to get coffee at a Wawa or at work um, or with a patient, just really being able to kind of keep that at the forefront and self-compassion. And I think just, like I said, holding on to hope more than anything. I think my message would be just to remember that no matter what position you hold within healthcare, no matter what's going on in any one situation that might be listening to this podcast is to remember that you're not alone. And even if you feel alone, that's normal to feel isolated. It's normal to feel alone in this experience. But this podcast was developed during this time for a reason. And to remember that, you know, it is everyone has value and your self-care is such a huge, huge value and that it's okay to talk about the things that you struggle with. It's okay to talk about the occupational or personal stressors. That's why behavioral health exists. That's why therapists are, you know, here, you know, we're all human. We all have that struggle. 
it's okay to talk about it. And it's, it's survival in a lot of cases to talk about it during a time like this. So please don't be afraid to reach out. Please don't be afraid to utilize Cobalt, the employee assistance program, the resources that we have in place, they're designed to be confidential, you know, so your business will stay with whoever it is that you disclose your information to. It doesn't go anywhere else, but you know, you have value. So please don't forget about your self-care and just to remember you're not alone. Once again, thank you guys for both doing what you do in terms of supporting everybody that we work with. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Chrissy.